The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort. Deirdre is live at Google's annual developer conference ahead of a big interview this afternoon. Dee, what's coming up? Well, this event, Carl, it's still mostly streamed, but we are here as well as a group of Googlers. Uh, We're on the ground in Mountain View next to campus developers, too. Now, this is focused on them, but it's also the place where Alphabet makes big product announcements, reveals where the company and trends are heading. And, of course, that reverberates throughout the tech community. This year, of course, it comes as tech is getting slammed in the market. Alphabet has lost a fifth of its value. So what the giant says is going to matter more than ever. Later on, guys, I will be sitting down with the CEO himself, Sundar Pichai. I cannot wait to bring that to our audience, Carl. Uh, that's going to be key, uh, D, especially on a day where we're watching FANG very closely relative to the rest of the market. Meantime, markets are mixed after that latest CPI number showed hotter than expected inflation. Now we're watching uh, the Dow up 250, was up 400 plus, but the Nasdaq is down about 35. Our next guest asks, has the tech bubble finally burst? And he notes the, that despite the composite losing more than a quarter of its value since the 52-week high in November, uh, there could be further to fall. It's still up by nearly the same amount over the past two years. Joining us is Loop Ventures managing partner Gene Munster. Gene, it's great to have you back. Uh, thanks hey, for the Carl. time. Um, wh- where does the risk lie right now, uh, particularly within tech and the NAS? Well, as you said, it's still up 27%, which means investors still have gains they're sitting on. And I think when you look at the broader sell off over the last two uh, months, it's been a bubble bursting. And typically, when bubbles burst, the pendulum swings further in that direction of a correction. And so there's not the valuations here are not at sanity levels. And I would argue that we're still going to see a further depression. I do have a vote of uh, some confidence here that that while the worst is over, uh, I think that there is still some downside. So I do believe, Carl, that the worst is over. And I would just put kind of one uh, final uh, point on my conviction on this is our fund is still 50 percent in cash. I, we look forward to trying to resume that conversation because Gene uh, is in the recession camp, uh, John, uh, and that might be because that might be a, where his cash position leads him to is a recessionary call. And then just putting together the pattern of uh, earnings blowups that we've seen in the last few weeks, Netflix, Coinbase, Unity. There's usually we've been walking into the office in the morning and finding at least one of them uh, down 20, 30 percent. Yeah, you know, stock blowups and narrative blowups. I mean, we're going to talk more about this, but not just Coinbase, the stock itself, but then uh, Bitcoin taking that big dip this morning when the CPI number came back. I mean, there goes that narrative about crypto being a hedge against inflation. Yes, it came back, but that sort of reaction tells you something, I think, about the narrative, Carl. Right. Gene, we got you back. You were mentioning your cash position, um, and, and, and then I added on top of that your view about going into a recession. Exactly. I remember being an analyst uh, 15 years ago, right around 2010, 
and I was uh, talking to a buy sider. I'm not going to say the buy sider's name, but I was giving an update in terms of Apple's performance and the strength in their business. And uh, the buy sider stood up in the meeting and just simply walked out as, as I was telling him all these good things. Uh, I was astonished. Uh, his two lieutenants uh, uh, addressed me and said, the reason why he walked out is that you simply don't get the joke is that, yes, the businesses are fine today, but give it uh, three and six months and you will see what's going to happen. I am a pragmatic approach. I'm an optimist, but I do think we are going to see some rifts of recession. And I do suspect that at the point when the recession actually starts, that's when I think that these tech names really start working again. And so if you uh, take the view that uh, these rates will cause uh, some form of a recession, uh, I think that uh, it's uh, prudent to be still deploying through the bottom here into the fall. Right. And when we look on the company side, Gene, uh, some can take this moment to be opportunistic, especially ones with large cash balances. Uh, who do you think can afford to do that? What does that mean for some of the smaller companies that cannot? And I loved that sort of thread that you posted a while ago talking about how Apple saw the opportunity to kill its golden goose of the iPod, but birthed, you know, 25 more with the iPhone. Who's going to rise to this moment if you had to look across the tech landscape for opportunity? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's Apple's still one of the big beneficiaries there. I mentioned my caution about broader tech. I do not have caution around Apple. I'm optimistic that they will continue to power through this, in part because I believe that they're going to get into large addressable markets while at the same time having a sustainable business. I don't think Apple's going to have problems in the next three to six months in anticipation of this recession. So to answer your question, D, I think Apple's in a great place. I believe that they want to desperately get into the automotive business. I'm stopping short of saying that they're going to get into that business. But if they do uh, make good on that opportunity that they're working on, uh, that is a massive unlock in terms of value. And I think that that would continue to appreciate shares through the back half of this year. Another company I'm still optimistic on is Tesla, despite its high valuation. I just think that what they're doing is something that is incredible. It's been well uh, detailed. Don't need to go into it beyond that traditional auto is in a tight spot. I just look at what Tesla's doing and think this is not going to turn out well for traditional auto. And so those would be two companies. And the last piece here I would add when we think about this bubble bursting, we're going to see a lot of M&A in the middle and back half of this year. A lot of these darlings that are down 60, 70, 80 percent, they're going to get scooped up even with antitrust. And I think that there's some opportunities to troll for M&A opportunities within that bucket. Gene, but isn't there a difference between having confidence in a business and having confidence that this is the right price and the right moment to buy a stock? I mean, even with the confidence that you have in Apple's business, and yes, it pays a dividend, it's in a great position cash flow-wise and, and product line-wise and all of that, is 152 a share, kind of a limited time only you're going to regret it if you don't buy it here now and you're looking back on this three to six months from now? I think that Apple is going to continue to perform better than uh, broader tech. I would say that if if these rates do continue to move higher, John, I think that all tech is going to be impacted by that. But I think you're going to see some outperformance. So I'm not calling a, a bottom at 150 with this. I'm uh, more looking forward to 2023. I think Apple is going to be a beneficiary of easier comps, just like a lot of tech companies. And so 
Uh, no, I don't think that there is a bottom that we can call. I do. I, I think there is still downside to the market. Uh, maybe I should reiterate that. I think there is downside to the market. If you are going to want to own something in the near term, I think Apple's a great place to be. Otherwise, I would just pick away at these companies, wait to the back half of the year. As soon as this the recession comes, that's the point where these stocks start moving higher. And one final thought on these tech trades, their, their comps have just been getting uh, reset now in 2022. That makes it for easier growth in 2023. And you're going to see investors anticipating that later this mm. year. And so you put it together. You still want to be long tech, but be it judiciously. Uh, it's always tough to predict what Apple's going to unveil, and you've been so uh, funny and upfront about past predictions, Gene, on Twitter. Uh, but uh, we love to see it. It's good to see you. Gene Munster, thanks. Thank you, Carl. We're going to turn now to crypto. Besides the plunge in Coinbase this morning, Bitcoin did dip below 30,000. Kate Rooney joining us to help break down some of these moves. Uh, Kate, we're all kind of fascinated by this move in the algorithmic stablecoin, TerraUSD. We've talked over the years about a major stablecoin's demise, how that could be a black swan for the entire ecosystem. TerraUSD had grown to, you know, the third largest. But talk a little bit, put it in context, and talk about the contagion effect that we could be seeing right now. Yeah, it's definitely having a hit on Bitcoin and crypto sentiment. But this is probably the biggest black eye yet for the industry. I was just talking to Nick Carter of Castle Island. He was actually one of the few skeptics out there. There were a lot of backers uh, of this ecosystem in general, not just the stablecoin itself. You had Luna. You had a lot of different parts of this. And there were some high profile, big name investors in what you might call the smart money hedge funds. Uh, that have a lot of exposure to this. What are the impacts here? It shows the industry, at least in this case, can't self-police. They really didn't do that here. This project and the stablecoin uh, is unwinding. To step back for a second, a stablecoin, it's supposed to be pegged one-to-one -one with the price of the dollar. It's now down to something like 50 cents. So completely lost trust there. They're trying to scramble to find ways to bring back some of the trust to make sure they can stabilize the price. But there's been a total outflow. People are leaving that ecosystem. And a lot of retail traders in the U.S. are also exposed here. So it's likely going to result in more regulation. You look at Treasury, which was already laser focused on stable coins and some of the risk uh, to financial contagion. And the U.S. issuers, a lot of private companies here in the U.S. have complained that other global stable coins, as they call themselves, you know, aren't backed, don't have the same requirements when it comes to saying what they're backed by. In this case, also to step back, this project and this stablecoin is supposed to be backed by other cryptocurrencies. So it was a complicated thing that there were not a lot of skeptics or critics out there, and there was a lot of people exposed to this project. Kate, I have trauma. I have trauma from living <laughs> through the dot-com bust. Uh, as a young reporter, I have trauma from living through the uh, housing crisis as a real estate and personal finance editor. And what this reminds me of is those postmortems later about, oh, here's what you didn't know about all the money that was flowing into these startups, even though they didn't have revenue. Oh, here's what you didn't know about mortgage-backed securities. A lot of the underlying crypto narrative about this is a hedge against inflation and that's why it's not going to go way down. And, you know, uh, Coinbase is the Google of crypto in fintech. Those narratives are falling apart. So to me, this isn't necessarily just about what's happening with Terra. It's a question about this whole ecosystem. Are the people you're talking to taking a step back, crypto bullish, though they might have been up to this point, and reconsidering the thesis here? 
Well, that's exactly right, John. And one of the things, too, and, and the other similarities there is the jargon around this and how complicated they've made explaining this. So a lot of people would say, I, I, you know, they might not understand how an algorithmic stablecoin works. A lot of us don't. It doesn't seem to make sense. But I think they obfuscate that topic and that concept to make it harder to understand and people that want to buy in say, I don't quite get it, but there's some high-profile people backing this, so it must be safe, and it's called a stable coin. You talk to some of the investors. I was just talking to a few who actually sat this one out and have said, had sort of this Cassandra-type moment of, we've been saying this, we've been calling out the risk, but because of, first of all, the Twitter community around crypto, you don't want to be on the other side of that. They said it's really hard to speak out because people just dogpile onto these topics. And the founder of this, Do Kwan, who we've interviewed before, has been really outspoken about some of the critics. People who don't believe in this are seen Mm -hmm. as sort of the naysayers. They're going to miss out on this next big movement. And uh, absolutely. But there's a lot of people getting caught up in this. And people that didn't take risk off the table, that said they believed in this, they didn't step back here. And I think those are right now on the wrong side of Mm -hmm. a huge, huge trade here. Yeah, and the nature of the industry, Kate, has just been so polarized. You say something wrong, you get jumped all over. You say something to the positive, the other side jumps. So I I don't know, maybe there's going to be hopefully more nuance out of this. But even Sam Bankman-Fried had a word of warning on this algorithmic stablecoin. Thank you for that. We're going to dive into one of those exposed names, Coinbase, plunging this morning after the crypto exchange platform posted a disappointing quarter with revenue dropping 27% from a year ago. The stock is continuing its very rough run. It is down almost 50% just this week alone. Joining us now, Mizuho Managing Director Dan Dolov, who has a neutral rating on the stock. Uh, Dan, maybe we could just pick up where we finished last, last conversation. Where is the crypto market right now? Where is Coinbase? Could it still be the Google of cryptocurrency? Um, looking in the long term, especially on the call yesterday, Brian Armstrong said, listen, we've been through this before. Are they the best equipped to deal with all of this volatility and turbulence? Hey, Deidre. Uh, great to be on the show again. I, I think this is sort of a moment of sort of understanding. And I, I agree with everything Kate said before. This is a moment of understanding that, you know, this, this the, the gospel of, of this thing being the Google or the AWS of crypto is not coming to fruition. And I think that was clear this quarter because the volatility in crypto has just, you know, made the, the first quarter look awful. The second quarter is looking even worse. They might be actually losing $500 million this year. Like, I don't really see a path from here. I know we've been through these winters before, but I don't think we're ready for an, a, a crypto ice age. So I think that's the, the question now. Is it, you know, is it just a crypto winter or a crypto ice age? And I don't think that, you know, crypto ice age is um, something that they could uh, weather like they weathered the other crypto winters. Hey, I wonder, Dan, what you make of uh, sort of their hiring trajectory. Uh, they've ramped up hiring, as we know, and they're running the business. They're going to try to run it on a break-even basis. But is that the kind of um, operating method that's in favor at the moment? You know, it's a great point. I, I think this is like the um, it, it, it feels a little bit like like the, the, the final scene from like Thelma and Louise, where they're heading you know towards the cliff with uh, <laughs> oh gas. You know, I. I they're hiring like it, it. I mean, I was listening to the call yesterday. They're hiring as if there is as if nothing really happened. Right. They're going to be spending four billion dollars or something on 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 GNA and marketing. And, and I and, you know, they're, they barely turned EBITDA profitably this quarter. Uh, they're ba- that the language has changed a little bit more to, to to make sure that, you know, like if you compare the two press releases, that five hundred million dollar loss, I feel like is more realistic now than it was 
back in February. So I don't understand, you know, what this hiring is for. I think in my view, that's a big mistake. They need to maybe kind of step back a little bit and, and, and show some profitability. I think that's what the market wants. Dan, uh, a few days ago, I was talking with Michael Groninger, the uh, uh, founder, CEO of Chainalysis. And what struck me about what he was saying is he's not big on any particular cryptocurrency itself. He's excited about blockchain. My understanding is they just did a raise at around an $8 billion-ish uh, valuation. That, in a way, uh, concerns me, given this environment we've been talking about where certain crypto bulls have been like, oh, well, if you're not completely behind this train, then you just don't get it. Um, that, when, when we're getting the signals that we're getting, uh, kind of nerve-wracking, uh, what do you do with, uh, with Coinbase here? Why are you neutral and not at a sell? You know, great question. I mean, in, 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 I mean, we are the, I would consider us to be one of the, 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 big, the biggest bears on the street on this name. Um, I feel like it's hard to be a sell on this one. And I think the reason we're neutral is because up until now, it moved so quickly with the volatility in crypto that it was very hard to basically uh, determine even like the next day, the next month, the next quarter. I think it's becoming clearer now that there's a, some structural issues here. So I think the reason we, I mean, not I think, I know the reason we were we chose to be neutral on this one, and I, I still think it's the right rating, is because of that volatility that you know you could have like an, an update in crypto and the stock works and then you, you lose a lot of money if you short it. But I think fundamentally long term on Coinbase, I think there's just more issues than opportunities. And I'm 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 quite bearish on on the uh, you know medium to long term prospects on this one. Dan Dolove, thanks for your insights. We'll talk Thank to you again you. soon. Thank you. Uh, well, staying in fintech, but uh, perhaps away from crypto, turning now to SoFi, shares are higher this morning uh, by about 1% after plunging when the company accidentally released results early, posting record revenue, a beat on adjusted EBITDA with the Q2 guide coming in below the street's expectations. Joining us now in a first on interview for a closer look at the quarter, SoFi CEO Anthony Noto. Anthony, welcome. Um, first, what's the state of the consumer from your perspective and your ability to, to sort of predict um, who's worth issuing credit to? Yeah, the, the best way to think about our business is that we're in a diverse uh, set of businesses because we have a unique strategy. Uh, we've developed a one-stop shop on digital for all your financial needs. So we have four different loan types. We also have a new checking account with 1.25% interest uh, when you do direct deposit. We're also in the invest business, so single stocks, robo, crypto, uh, as well as ETFs. Uh, and then we have a technology platform that may not be that well understood. We power a number of the key um, neo banks as well as B2B enterprises through our Galileo technology, as well as Technosys, which is a core banking technology. So three different businesses that all have different growth characteristics. I'd say our member is doing quite well. It's a um, high mass affluent member. Uh, average income for our loans right now is over $160,000 uh, and really strong credit at, at 740 plus uh, FICO score. So that diversification is allowing us to gain market share. That's driving the record results. The $322 million of revenue you mentioned was up 49% year over year. And we had our seventh consecutive quarter of positive EBITDA, which is what we think is the best measure of profitability for our business. And we have a great balance sheet. So the diversification of our businesses allows us to overcome a lot of the volatility in the marketplace and drive such consistent results. 
which is why we also raised our outlook for the year to one $1.5 billion plus and right. 100, that's in revenue and $100 million in EBITDA. Okay, but uh, so as interest rates rise, how does your pitch to your customer and your potential customer change then? Are you planning on uh, offering higher yield savings and, and that sort of underpins your, your business? What's the sort of unfair advantage that you plan to exploit during this difficult period? John, great question. Uh, we're very fortunate to get a national banking license uh, in, in January. We opened the bank in February. We launched a brand new checking savings account that's really unmatched in its value proposition. We give you 1.25% interest on your checking account. Um, in addition to that, we charge no account fees, no minimums, uh, and we have the ability to give you many other services, such as free certified financial planner when you use that account, uh, in addition to free roundups and two-day early paycheck. Um, if you do direct deposit with us, that's a great account and a huge differentiator. It's a differentiator not just to the consumer, but it also lowers our cost of funding our loans. Um, we had a funding cost that was about 2x that before becoming a bank. We can now use our members' deposits that are up to $1.5 billion and growing about $100 million a week. Uh, and so now we have a lower cost of funding loans, which yeah. means we can give attractive prices. Right. Right, and I know you've talked about the differences in your customer base. Uh, Anthony, you're still talking in terms of profitability in adjusted EBITDA, but the market and other CEOs have acknowledged that investors don't really want to hear that anymore. They want to look to positive free cash flow and net income profitability. Uh, can you guys get there, especially if we're facing an economic slowdown? Should you be changing the way that you talk to investors? Um, we actually think the best value driver is free cash flow. Uh, and if you take our EBITDA and, subtrop, and subtract our CapEx, that's the best measure of free, of free cash flow. Uh, gap net income is not a, a full cash measurement, and that's why people are talking about free cash flow. And that's typically defined as operating cash flow less CapEx. But for a financial services company, because you're using your cash to fund your loans, uh, we believe EBITDA less CapEx is a better measurement um, of cash flow because that drives increasing book value. Our book value today is $5.5 billion. Uh, and we'll okay. continue to grow that because of that measurement. And uh, Anthony, it feels like all fintechs are sort of being painted with a similar brush these days, um, especially after what we saw out of Upwork. Uh, what separates SoFi from them and from others, and not just your customer base and the credit worthiness, but is there something in the technology after we've seen a bunch of fintechs come out using algorithms, artificial intelligence to judge credit worthiness? Is there something different about your model and your technology that will help you weather the future better? Yeah, the, the biggest differences are we're not just in one line of business. Uh, we have seven different businesses, including a technology platform that we call the AWS of fintech. So many of these other companies are just in one category, like cryptocurrency or just in lending. Um, because we built out this sort of Amazon of financial services, we have a checking savings account offering, uh, which is doing well, quite well now in a higher rate environment. We have a credit card. We have four types of loans, personal loans, mortgages, home loans, in-school loans. And we also have these two big technology platforms that generated $60 million of revenue in the quarter with a really high growth rate and are very profitable. So our businesses are different. We have greater diversification. We're also vertically integrated. So we're a low cost operator and we own the technology and two of the biggest businesses we have are checking savings account and um, ultimately our banking core capabilities. The yeah. last thing I mentioned is being a bank is a real advantage. We can use our deposits to fund our loans. Other fintechs that are not banks cannot use their deposits to fund loans. They can only use their own cash. 
So we Anthony, can expand loans and hold loans and fund them with our deposits. It's a huge advantage. T- tell us about your crypto exposure. I believe you've got about uh, 30 cryptocurrencies available to trade through SoFi and the crypto wallet thing. I understand you're diversified, but help me to understand the degree to which your business is affected by volume in crypto trading and the ways, the, the amount of risk that uh, your customers are taking on when they trade it. So we, um, we provide the ability to buy 30 different crypto coins on our platform. Uh, we do it through a marketplace, so we're really just generating lead generations from that, and we charge commissions on it. It's a small component of our revenue. Uh, it's averaged between three and, <clears throat> three and $6 million of revenue in a quarter. Um, obviously, we reported results yesterday. We had record revenue. The diversification of our business in other areas is offsetting the volatility in cryptocurrency. And that's one of the big differentiators of what we're able to differ deliver because we have all these different businesses. And so while there is disruption in the crypto space, it's a small piece of our revenue, about three to six million dollars per quarter. Uh, And when it has dislocations as it is having now, we can overcome it because of things like checking and savings, stocks, as well as credit card and the loans that I mentioned. And I can't emphasize enough, uh, the neobanks and the technology of fintech is running on two of our biggest platforms Mm. in Galileo and Technosys. You have indeed emphasized that. We get it. Um, and we'll keep an eye for sure. Anthony Noto, thank you. Um, before going thank public, you, I should mention SoFi was a CNBC Disruptor 50 company. And the 10th annual Disruptor 50 list of private innovators is going to be revealed Tuesday on air and online at CNBC.com slash disruptors. Carl? Oh, usually a big day for us, John. When we come back, uh, what to expect when Disney reports tonight? Plus, is Peloton over or undervalued? Tech Check is just getting started. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's get a gut check on Electronic Arts. It is the top gainer on the NASDAQ 100 this morning. That stock is rallying after the gaming company reported mixed results for its latest quarter. It is also ending a decades-long partnership with FIFA and planning to rebrand that game. Moffat Nathanson taking the stock to a buy this morning. The firm likes its clean balance sheet, consistent free cash flow, its wealth of franchises. Plus, they say it may be a stable place for investors to hide. Moffat Nathanson says the company is set up well to weather the market volatility. Certainly a plus in this environment, John. It is indeed. Uh, Also, Disney reporting tonight, streaming and parks revenue are key areas of focus for investors. The company also facing some political controversy. Julia Borston with more on all that. Hey, Julia. Well, John, Disney is often seen as a bellwether for the future of the streaming business, as well as for the health 
of the consumer and consumer spending. Now, the media giant's earnings per share are expected to grow 50%, while revenue is projected to grow 28%, driven by a rebound in the parks division. But the subscription business will be very much in focus after Netflix projected a contraction in subscribers, raising concerns about cash-strapped consumers pulling back in a saturated streaming market. Now, analysts project Disney will add about 5 million Disney Plus subscribers for a total of 135 million and will add about eight and a half million total streaming subs. That includes Hulu and ESPN Plus for a total of 205 million subs. Now, anything short of those numbers could send the stock lower. Wells Fargo saying that the March quarter is expected to be light on Disney Plus net ads due to limited new content and market launches. They say they expect subs to ramp in the second half of the year on market launches and in the third quarter, fiscal third quarter, and new content in the fourth quarter. Now, the other key area in focus is Disney's parks division. Revenue more than doubled in that division last quarter, uh, but now analysts are watching consumer spending trends amid recessionary fears and also inflationary pressures. We'll have to see if CEO Bob Chapek comments on Walt Disney World's battle with Florida over the repeal of Disney's special tax district in the state, but analysts say they don't expect this will have a meaningful financial impact on the company. Now, the other area where Disney could feel the impact of all this macroeconomic uncertainty we've been talking about is advertising. Investors are looking for insight into advertiser demand and how far ahead people are willing to spend on ads. But with the stock down nearly 30% year to date, analysts, they are largely bullish. Three quarters have a buy rating on the stock. The rest have a hold and no sells. The stock is up just under 1% today. Guys. Hey, Julia, on on budgets and content budgets, I wonder, is the street hungry for uh, aggressiveness because they're going after market share and they're going after hits, or are they looking for discipline as they try to get this thing profitable uh, sooner rather than later? Well, I think that investors were happy to hear about a little bit more discipline from Netflix, but I think a lot depends for Disney um, in terms of how big the subscribers number are. Now, we have to remember they are continuing their global rollout, and so they have a little bit more room to go than, say, Netflix, which already has global reach. But um, I, I think it's really a question of how successful these films are, how they see Disney Plus fitting in with their theatrical release strategy. Obviously, um, they're trying to figure out which films are better to put on which platform without cannibalizing their business. And a lot of that depends on whether families want to go back to theaters this summer. So we'll have to see how Disney walks that fine line, because I think investors want to see how big this service can really be and if they are going to continue to maintain their growth targets for streaming numbers, Carl. Yeah, that's a great point, especially in light of what uh, Strange 2 has done in the last few days. Uh, Julia, we'll see what happens this afternoon. Uh, Julia Borson on Disney. Let's get a news update this uh, morning, and for that, we'll turn to Frank Holland. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. Before President Biden left the White House this morning for a trip to a union convention in Chicago, he issued a statement saying it is heartening to see that an annual inflation actually moderated in April. But he added that inflation remains unacceptably high and said again that bringing it down is his top economic priority. The president was referring to the Labor Department's report three hours ago that its consumer price index was up 8.3 percent in April. That's slightly below March's 8.5 percent increase, but it's still close to a 40-year high. And as interest rates rise, demand for adjustable rate mortgages is soaring and now account for 19 percent of the dollars being borrowed to buy a home and 11 percent of mortgage loans. That's the highest level since March of 2008 
just before the financial crisis. Unlike that period, however, adjustable rate loans, they now require a down payment, just like fixed rate mortgages. That's the very latest. Deirdre, back over to you. Frank Holland, thank you very much. As we head to markets, as we head to break, let's get a quick check on the markets. The Dow is up nearly 300 points. S&P up 27. NASDAQ, the underperformer, though, down two-tenths of a percent, as it has been the underperformer all year. Plus, do not forget, tomorrow, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai joins us right here on Tech Jacks. We are back in just a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. That hotter than expected inflation number this morning hit the market. Now the Nasdaq is trying to rebound toward the flat line. Dominic Chu has a look at what's moving this morning. Hey, Don. The, 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 the volatility, though, Carl, is the theme, right? Because we've seen so many of these moves and wild swings and, and economic catalysts sometimes driving it. Well, today, with regard to the Nasdaq trade overall, we are seeing at least a fractional move to the downside, some volatility, and just to kind of kind of keep track of where we are from the record highs to where we are now. We are still down roughly 27% from those record levels. Now, on an intraday basis, if you take a look at the NASDAQ 100 and the ETF that tracks at the big one there, the QQQ, from an intraday low to kind of where we are right now, we've seen some volatility here as well. Right after the opening bell to where we saw a spike higher, we were up roughly 2.7% from an intraday low to that point. As it stands right now, it's closer to like 1.5% gains from the intraday low. So again, those moves are starting to get a little bit more fierce on an intraday basis, so something we're keeping an eye on. Now, within that NASDAQ 100 overall, there are roughly eight stocks within the NASDAQ 100 that have rallied by at least 5% or more from their intraday lows just in early trading so far to kind of where we are right now. Among those names, you've got Booking Holdings, Advanced Micro, and Fortinet. You can see all about four to three to four percent gains here, but these are all up roughly six percent off their intraday lows. For Airbnb, it's up roughly seven percent off those lows, and then Datadog, another one up four percent right now, has moved about eight percent off an intraday low. Now, the stock in the Nasdaq 100, Carl, that has rallied the most. From the low point in early trading today to where we are right now, you guys mentioned it before in your gut check, is Electronic Arts, that Moffitt Nathanson upgrade maybe has a big part of that story. But still, on an intraday basis, from the lows to kind of where we were there, it was a nice move higher, about 9 or 10% off the intraday levels that we've seen. So that's where the volatility, guys, has been within that NASDAQ 100 overall. We'll keep an eye on some of those names to see if that volatility, guys, continues. Hey, Dom, any sense what the volume might be telling us when we get these moves higher and lower, um, how much conviction is behind them or is the volume increasing or decreasing? 
as this volatility drags on? So, you know, a, a lot of traders have different takes on how that volume plays into it. Because volume, I mean, price is price. It, it, it just happens the way it does. But whether or not there's conviction behind a move, right? And, and so when you've seen some of these massive downside moves, we've seen a lot more average than uh, a lot more higher than average volumes with regard to how things kind of shake out. We haven't seen as much of that on some of the upside moves as we have. So if this is a situation where the, the volumes might be kind of like the vote, right? It's one thing when you can say, hey, you know, a handful of people are voting here and there, and this is kind of what the price action is. When there's a lot more participants there, some traders actually believe that it kind of tends to signal a little bit more force in the moves, a little bit more in terms of the overall oomph behind it. I'm not sure whether or not it signals a change in direction or not. That's what a lot of traders are trying to figure out right now, whether those violent moves and the associated volumes that go along with it may signal that this could be a change in trend. Now, the near-term trend, of course, has been to the downside, so the bulls are maybe, maybe hoping a little bit more for that case, guys. All right, Don, thanks for that. Uh, one more mover to mention this morning is Roblox. Uh, stock has completely reversed the post-earnings dip, now up double digits, although off of the highs of the morning, which were somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 and a half. Those recent uh, NASDAQ laggards getting squeezed higher in today's trade. CEO's on Mad Money tonight, and Tech Check is back in a minute. Breaking this morning, a multi-state crackdown on a casino in the metaverse with ties to Russia. The metaverse, of course, is a virtual world where you can shop, attend concerts, gamble, even among other activities. Regulators say the casino lured investors in with false promises of riches. Here's Eamon Javers with the CNBC exclusive. Joe Rotunda, director of enforcement of the Texas State Securities Board, was analyzing sites in the metaverse when he says he stumbled on this. Flamingo Casino Club, promoting itself as a premier virtual casino in the metaverse, selling what it called securitized non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, for investors to get a piece of the action. But today, Texas, Wisconsin, Kentucky, New Jersey, and Alabama simultaneously filed this 22-page emergency cease and desist order. It says Flamingo Casino Club is concealing material information, including its address and location and qualifications of its principles. And according to the order, the virtual casino has no affiliation with the actual Flamingo Las Vegas Hotel and Casino, which it claims. Regulators say they used IP records, subpoenas, and blockchain analysis to trace the group far outside the United States. It was operating from Russia, right around the time that Russia moved into the Ukraine. That's when they started mobilizing Flamingo Casino. Rotunda says the virtual casino's founders told investors that part of the profits from their NFT sales would be donated to benefit suffering Ukrainians. And they didn't just talk about how they were going to donate to Ukrainian civilians, to one person or two people, right? They publicly proclaimed it. And is any of that money actually going to benefit Ukrainians? I haven't seen any money going to benefit Ukrainians. Now, regulators say the Metaverse Casino has 31 days to come into compliance. Failing to do so can result in a $10,000 fine and up to 10 years in prison. There's been no response from the casino to regulators at this point, Deirdre. Yeah, Eamon, it shows how important it is for the government side lawmakers to have the technological capability to trace these companies. But that begs the next question. How do you email or even get in touch with a company in the metaverse that may be and is supposed to be decentralized, right? How do you actually hold them accountable? 
Well, that's right. And what these regulators are doing is sending these cease and desist orders today uh, to the web services provider in Lithuania, to a corporate address associated with this entity that's in Cyprus. And the hope is here uh, that entities that are in uh, jurisdictions that are friendly with U.S. law enforcement and U.S. regulators uh, will comply with this. Uh, we'll see whether that happens. But they also feel that getting some publicity around this is a good thing as well. And simply filing this cease and desist order will be an alert to investors in Texas and in these other states. You know, you better watch out with this one. The regulators say uh, this is a total scam. They also say that uh, these guys are not providing nearly enough information about one of their key claims, which was that they're going to buy land in the metaverse from Snoop Dogg, the rapper. Uh, they say that they have no information that that's actually happening. We've reached out to Snoop's, Snoop Dogg's people, uh, and we'll let you know as soon as he comments. Uh, regulators always chasing uh, the, the, the next innovation, Eamon. Pretty fascinating wake-up call. That's our Eamon Javers this morning. Yeah. Uh, we do want to mention it one more time. Uh, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai right here on Tech Check is tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Stay with us. Welcome back. Peloton shares looking to claw back some of yesterday's losses on the heels of those results. And that's where we'll start today's edition of Overvalued, Undervalued. Bulls like JMP still see some opportunity. They say they think growth expectations have been sufficiently reduced. Out with a new note this morning, upgrading the stock to outperform. Price target 25. It's about a 90% upside from where the stock is currently trading. We're going to watch that. They like what they see out of the connected fitness experience, the potential for both international expansion and distribution through some third-party retailers. But on the other hand, Stiefel's less optimistic. They lower their rating to hold, cut the target to 14, worried about uncertainty surrounding consumer demand, product mix, and churn rates. They say they see limited near-term upside for shares and project it'll take a few more quarters to see normalized growth in connected fitness subs. Pretty interesting. We talked about that third-party element yesterday, John, uh, with that one analyst who said, look, get the bikes out there, and then you can make your money on the back end. I did notice as well that uh, J.P. Morgan up Planet Fitness saying that the stars are aligning for gyms. So there's a real push and pull here. Carl, I suspect the bikes are a big part of the problem. Not that they need to get rid of the bikes, like some analysts are saying that the future's in subscription. I just don't think so. Like, that's their differentiator. And they've got a whole bunch of different manufacturers mm -hmm. making these bikes, some of which are rusted out. And you have to wonder, are they making them as efficiently as possible, get those costs down uh, so that they can move forward? It just When Steve Jobs came back yeah. to Apple, he simplified the product line, made sure that they were building things as efficiently as possible, and built from there. I just wonder if Peloton's doing that. And one of the fundamental questions, too, is what is the size of their market is, you know, Planet Fitness, are they really looking at those customers or are they sort of this cult-like product where you have a base of maybe a smaller group of customers that love it so much and are willing to pay for it? Um, we'll see, guys. Barry McCarthy has a plan. He's talking about FAAS, fitness as a service. Uh, we'll see what he does. That call yesterday is pretty pragmatic. After the break, we're going to have much more in Coinbase, but first during May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage and featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's CNBC producer, Crystal Lau. My best advice for the Asian American community is to speak up. Growing up, my parents taught me and my sisters not to be the squeaky wheel. But what we've learned over the years is how important it is to find our voice and to be the voice for others. Speaking out against injustices in our community and advocating for yourself at work, whether it's during a contract negotiation or making sure your opinions are heard. To the future generation, speak up.
Welcome back. Gut check on Unity Software, the gaming software company sinking after a revenue miss for the first quarter, falling short on guidance for Q2 and the full year. A big part of that is product error in Audience Pinpointer with uh, the way Unity handled its data and targeting. CEO John Riccatello says Unity's focused on long-term growth, which means more spending now to boost their operate business, where some of those troubles were. Daywa is among those pairing expectations, downgrading the stock to neutral from outperform and cutting its price target to $34 per share from 110. While they are still believers in Unity's long-term market potential, they worry that algorithms take time to improve and investors could see medium-term pain. By the way, don't miss the CEO tonight on Mad Money. D. Yeah, it's a stock that has done another one of those round trips. And Daiwa says that it could take until the fourth quarter to fix their problems. So that's why you're seeing some of that pressure today, Carl. Uh, yeah, uh, reducing their target from 110 uh, to 34. Pretty amazing. As we go to break, check out the intraday tape for the NASDAQ. Volatility is the theme today, although um, definitely being supported somewhat by the long uh, yields uh, down again for the third day. By the way, you missed part of the show. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing, what can investors expect at Google I.O.? Well, this isn't like an Apple event where we get new iPhones or MacBooks, that we may get some hardware. It's more focused on developers and software, so expect to hear guys a lot about how artificial intelligence is guiding their roadmaps. Sundar Pichai has said that AI will revolutionize our world over the next quarter century. And a reminder that I will be talking to him today exclusively, and you can see that full interview tomorrow right here on Tech Check. We should note as well, John, the stock is down 20% this year. A lot of folks are watching what the mega caps are doing in this uh, very turbulent market environment, Google especially, because its ad business can really be a barometer for the global economy. Yeah, really looking forward to that uh, interview, D. Big get. I think for Google I.O., investors should focus on how Google continues to try to connect the digital and physical worlds, not in a metaverse sense, but an emphasis mm -hmm. on the physical. So how can complex searches and complex uh, intents, Carl, translate into Google being able to target better and then do commerce on its own platform? Yeah, fascinating, D. You're going to be able to take it so many directions, whether it's uh, the ad market, as you say, or even return to the office and headcount, uh, how they're thinking yep. about the employee base uh, in this new environment that we're in. Don't forget, Disney tonight's going to be one of the most important prints of the week. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.